Hello, world. This is Kevin Kelly. This is the first edition, first episode of the Anti-Podcast. Coming to you wherever fine podcasts are served. This is, uh, this is an experiment. That's really what it is. And I hope that it's at least somewhat entertaining to you. And if it's not, then that's fine too, because it's going to be a journal for me. Uh, a journal of interesting thoughts and conversations that I have and other people that I uh, interview will have as well. You know, it's I've been thinking about doing this for a minute now, and one, there is a lot of work and time and energy that go into making a podcast, much more than I thought in terms of publishing. Uh, I knew that there was going to be some technological aspect to it, which I have a little background in, but not a lot. Uh, but enough to be dangerous and how to record voices. <laughs> and I, it, it's been really hard to get everything pulled together in somewhat of a timeline. Um, you know, you tell people that things are going to happen by a certain time, then they don't happen, and then you keep pushing it back further and further and further until it is almost forgotten by everyone that you said you were going to do this in the first place. So... Here I am recording the intro to the first podcast I have done with my good friend Mike Spakowski. Uh, before we get into that, I want to just briefly touch on the name of this podcast. It's called Anti. Uh, and for the few people that know me, I have worked under the moniker of Anti-Agency uh, for about 10 years. Oh, wow, this is my 10th anniversary. I guess I started in 2009, and the idea of anti-agency, the name, came to me when I was running one day and trying to name whatever it was I was going to do next. You know, this was post-recession. Uh, I was trying to envision how to make money after having been in a band for about two years and just doing freelance projects. And I was out one day, and the name anti just hit me right between the eyes in my mind, and I knew that that was what it should be. The second reason why I knew that is because I immediately went over to my folks' house. I told my mother it was going to be anti-agency, and she thought that was an absolutely awful idea. So I've used her as a weird little measuring stick, which I go into a little bit in this podcast, um, for knowing when I should do something, when my mother thinks that it's an awful idea. Uh, but on the same hand, I have to give some props to my mother and my father for kind of planting the idea of being anti in the first place. Um, they are the ones who told me that it was okay to quit my job after three years right before the recession and begin to figure out the professional world on my own and the world at large. So I really owe it to them, um, this whole mindset of, you know, mistrust of authority and not just mindlessly following whatever the herd is doing. Uh, that is really something that came from them and that I immediately identified with. Uh, so the name anti, you know, I think, yeah, it can have a negative connotation for some people, uh, but to me, I've always heard or used anti 
when it's something that I don't like, you know, when it's something that is um, blindly accepted. You know, the, the definition of anti means opposed to or against, you know, a person opposed to a particular policy, activity, or idea. And in my mind, I think it's so much easier to just go along with what everyone else is doing, you know, to be pro this, to be pro that. But when you say that you're anti something, the immediate next question is, why are you against that? And if you've done your research and if you've thought about why you're against something, you know, then you have to answer truthfully and and with some sort of knowledge. If you can't, then you clearly don't know why you're against it. But if you're pro, if you're pro this, pro that, pro whatever, people are like, cool. You know, they don't really push that much further. You know, I'm speaking in abstracts here. I'm not saying you don't have to uh, defend yourself if you say you're pro-life or anti-abortion or things of that nature. But, you know, by and large, anti, the, the idea that it's a negative connotation, that you're standing in opposition to something, that is something that I've always identified with. And in this case, I use that to mean against the status quo, anti-mainstream, um, in whatever form that that may come. It doesn't have to be punk. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be anarchist. It is not necessarily a aggressive uh, position, but I think that it's a much more interesting train of thought to have when you present yourself. And I'll touch into it a little bit more in the future. But with that, you know, I'd like to present to you the first anti-podcast. I don't want this to be like any other podcast. I know it probably will be for a while until I find my own voice, until I find my confidence in doing this. But I have my intentions set, and I know what I'm trying to do, and that should be enough, hopefully. Um, My first guest is Mike Spakowski, owner of Atomic Dust. It's a design agency here in St. Louis, Missouri. He has been a great friend, um, confidant. He is a, a bit older than me, but (laughs) in a way that he never held it against me. I think we both were starting to do our own thing at the same time, and he had a lot more experience, and he also had partners to do it with. You know, it's hard doing something by yourself. It's equally hard doing something with partners, mind you, but I think that they all fed off of each other's um, excitement and building something together. And so I think, uh, I always say Mike is the version of me if I had been more successful and continued on with creating an agency. Uh, Anti-agency at this current state is not really an agency. And I'm really in the evolution of forming it into its own brand. Mike sticked through with Atomic Dust and it's a great agency. They do some of the best work in this area. They have um, awesome people that they work with. They have a, a general uh, mood of positivity and optimism with everything they do. Uh, and I think Mike's a great guy. This conversation is pretty freewheeling. We don't even get into his story about until 20 minutes in. And, um, you know, we just kind of touch on it. I think Mike is going to be a more frequent 
uh, guest. So I don't think we need to cover every single thing about him in this very first podcast. I, I like the idea of having open-ended conversations and tapping into things that you wouldn't normally talk about, especially recorded in a podcast. So hopefully you find that interesting as well. Um, we are going to be, we, me, is going to be incorporating a um, kind of a, a chapter of contents or you know a, a, a list to walk you through everything that we talk about. I know that people don't necessarily have two hours, three hours to listen to conversations, especially with people that they may or may not know. And so I am providing a, a key or a list of contents to the conversation so that you can look, follow along and connect with the things that you think may be most impactful to you. Obviously, you probably want to hear them in the context of the full conversation, but to the best of my ability, I've outlined the things, resources, books, movies, etc., to help you find them and access them um, as easily as possible. Uh, so with that, I give you Mike Spikowski, 001 on the Anti-Podcast. How's it going? Kevin, it's it's going really well. Great. How are you doing? This is off to a killer start. It's your first one. You're probably nervous. Not nervous, just uh, really just thinking about the day. Honestly, trying to get to this point, trying to get you locked in, trying to get gear set up. The days are long. Make sure that we have enough high life ready to go. Uh, We're good. We're good on that. We are good. So yeah, this is the first podcast and I chose you, I choo-choo chose you. Because uh, I think that we have a pretty good rapport. It's banter, Kevin. Repart- just banter. Rep- <laughs> just back and forth. can't remember the actual French word. Is it repartee or is it rapport? Uh, I don't speak French. I don't either. I don't Anyways, know. Mike was the first ideal guest to shoot the shit with. Just a guinea we're pig. Friends. Guinea pig. And we've talked a lot. Yeah. And yeah. and I, you know, one of the reasons why I want to do this, let's just cut right to the chase, is that um, I recently did a podcast with Corey Smale, super giant podcast, and he mentioned something about how this is kind of like journaling for him mm-hmm. and talking with his friends. And like, we all have great conversations and uh, just kind of um, don't necessarily always remember what we were talking about at the time. And so I think this is a great way to kind of just, even if it's not for anyone else besides you and I, to look back on and say, shit, that's what we talked about. Remember that day where we talked about that thing? Right. Amazing. Yeah, pull it up. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) let's play it. So, yeah, here we are. Uh, This is number one. It is, uh, I should probably mention that it's my mother's 75th birthday. You know what? Happy birthday, Kevin's mom. That's pretty amazing. Come a little closer just to, uh, yeah, get up on it. (laughs) Happy birthday, (laughs) Kevin's mom. Make sure she can hear it. Is she, yeah. It's 75. I mean, this hearing starts to go. Yes. I don't want her to turn up the podcast right there and then be blown away by her son's epic bass voice. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I guess the podcast would not exist without her. Having mm. been born 75 years ago. And Serendipity. Having me being born it's 36 all, years ago. It's all connected. It is all connected. You know, so I was sitting down last night, and this is just an idea I've been setting around. Uh, 
the podcast will be called Anti, and I'll probably address that in like one of those um, pre-roll things or intros to this podcast. Yeah, if you need me to sing the intro, I am, <laughs> I'm also available. I don't have any music yet. It's I think perfect. That's, you know, I was worried about that too, and then I'm like, what am I so fucking worried about? This is the beginning of hopefully yeah. a long podcast series. I, I read today that most new podcasts don't last more than te- 10 episodes. Which is an interesting thought to think about. So don't release it until you have 11, just to beat the right. odds. Yeah, I mean, I've already got nine scheduled, which I think is better than most new podcasts. So This entire thing reminds me of... Uh, and you're going to be number 10. Yeah, it's perfect. That's right. It's perfect. Because we're going to circle back around yeah. when I get to 10 to see if this experiment works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have, have you ever heard uh, uh, Strange Brew? It's like no. Rick Moranis in the oh, 70s yeah, and yeah. 80s. I've never seen it. Yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't see it either. I had like a record. Mm-hmm. It was like a comedy record. It was two guys sitting around talking and drinking beer and making like terrible jokes. So I think it's very similar to the spirit. Was of, that on the, the uh, that was on the Canadian? Uh, SCTV. SCTV. Yeah. Yes. And that was before they came to Saturday Night Live, right? Correct. Yeah. Or, I, I think so. I was Dan like, Aykroyd did. But I was like four. But Rick Moranis never... Yeah, he never sold out. He kept it Moran. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he kind of sold out more than anyone. Then he goes straight to Disney. Well, he shrunk those kids, <laughs> right? If I remember right. So he went straight for the money bags. Yeah, and yeah. then you know, and then just dropped off and right. and like live life. <laughs> Is he still alive? That's my. Uh, I think. Oh yeah, he's still alive. He's just sitting I, there judging other people. I think he's like Bill Waterson. I feel he legend. Made, he made his stacks and then he just checked out. Yeah, completely. I have an iPad here in case we need to Google important things like Rick Moranis, alive or dead. I read an article on him uh, a couple of years ago, and because we looked him up, um, but he is alive. And if I understand it right, he just got uh, uh, he became successful, and then he just wanted to raise his kids, and he doesn't like work anymore. That's and, interesting. Uh, yeah, he's just like a, a stay-at-home dad. That's kind of. That's kind of badass. Yeah, totally. It's like, I mean, you were in Ghostbusters, and now, uh, yeah, your kids should fear you. Is it something uh, you would do? <laughs> I don't. I, I I don't think I could do it. Like, um, I I really love my kids and all, uh, but I think stay at home is like uh, just a special God given talent and test of patience. And uh, totally. Well, especially yeah. with kids at a certain age. Yeah. Yeah. I but, mean. I always think every year it'll get like easier, but yeah. it doesn't. I mean, not that it's it's bad. It's just always different, you know? So right. it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't but know. I mean, like, I feel like you're gifted with three pretty individual personality types of sons. Yeah, I mean, completely. Like, um, it's weird. I was thinking about this the other day that, like, um, they're my kids, but, like, I don't, I don't know how they got their personalities because they're yeah. so different, even from me or my wife. Uh, there's similarities, but like everybody's just born entirely uh, their own their own thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. But having kids is weird because you get to reflect and think about all this stuff. Like, why did you do that? I would never do that. And that's just them, you know. Well, I, you know, my biggest I'm a big fan of Miles, of course. And you know, I guess he's aged quite a bit since his. Uh, since you made him insta-famous. Yeah, yeah. Hosting uh, the most hilarious pranks. He is a, he's a celebrity <laughs> now on my Instagram account of, of 10 followers. 
at him Spaco. It's Miss Paco. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah, way. yeah. So we haven't talked about design at all yet. Graphic which design, which is awesome. Which is kind of how we met because I never like. Uh, I guess so. I don't ever really remember meeting you. I just remember like we would <clears throat> we would be at the same parties, and then we would start to talk and uh, essentially gripe about design in the industry. Yeah, and uh, the food at whatever party we were at. Yeah, I mean, I would say you were probably one of the most approachable people in the industry that I met. And so obviously I was, uh, you know, I was, I was independent at that point and just kind of younger than most people. And it was just fun to talk and shoot the shit about what was going on in the industry here. It's such a, uh, it's such a weird, it's designed such a weird job. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, of this philosophy that, uh, all designers hate each other until they don't, (laughs) you know? And I think like you look at other people's work or reputation. No, I just think it's sort of like, uh, you ever go to like a design show or an award show and see like some beautiful, wonderful work on the wall and you're like, oh, they must be assholes, you know, because you're just jealous and mad and all this stuff, which I am often. Uh, <laughs> but then you meet the people and they're very nice and they're just like you and it's really hard to hate them. And then, uh, yeah, so all designers hate each other until they don't. Yeah, I mean, I think you could extrapolate that quite a bit into the art world, uh, the design world. Um, you know, any, any profession in the creative, uh, world, I think there's generally a sense of people trying to, uh, not necessarily like compete, but like, you know, you're putting your soul out there. You compare, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's dangerous and you should never compare yourself, but you can't help. And, uh, uh, you just wonder how people get such great ideas or great, uh, uh, perspectives on things and. Uh, why you don't have that. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a real strange job. I don't think accountants look at other accountants are like, man, how did he save so much on taxes? Yeah. I've been thinking about this lately is that, um, comparison is, um, very, it's like a death spiral. Once you start trying to compare yourself to other people at the same time, you do have to be acknowledging of how good or bad your own work is. Oh, completely. Yeah. So it's it's like you get to this point of saying, I, uh, I'm done comparing myself to everyone, but you have a baseline understanding of what quality work is. Yep. So it's like, how, yeah. do you, how do you even think about that? I mean, is, is it something that you've kind of... Well, I'll just... What do yeah, you think well, about that? Well, I think... I've been doing this for a long time, uh, probably almost like 20 years, I'd yeah. say, which is crazy uh, to think about because uh, I'm not that old. But mm. um, but I think like after a while, you just don't, you just become numb to it. Like um, uh, you don't really worry if it's good or bad or if people will love it or hate it. You just, that's what you, your work is sort of the the, the decisions you made at that time, you know, with the with the resources and the knowledge and the in the, um, uh, the, the ideas you had in that little moment of time. And then as a designer, like you're, you move on, you're done, right. you know? And so you could look back and judge it and say, Oh, maybe I should have done this or maybe I could tweak it or what if they like it or what if they hate it? But it's really, um, uh, 
it's really, you just, you just sort of let go. And, and, uh, Andy Warhol had a great quote about that. Uh, something, it was something I'm paraphrasing and I'll butcher it, but it's something like let other people judge if it's, uh, good or bad, uh, but go on and, and just, uh, make the next project, Yeah, you know, and that's, that's the worst paraphrasing of a quote ever, but it's sort of that spirit. And I remember, uh, some of the some of the work we've done has been for uh, for higher profile public things like mm-hmm. uh, the Science Center or mm-hmm. like uh, Pirano uh, Pasta. And I remember Pirano, and we were really super proud of the work. And it was um, a week before opening, and we're walking around and like, you know, will people like this or hate this or whatever? And it was like it doesn't it doesn't matter. And I remember at that point, I just became kind of uh, not numb, but mm-hmm. uh, but just sort of. Uh, I just you just look at criticism different or comparing different, right? Uh, and yeah. well, and there's also like the lifespan of any amount of work too, because it's um, you know, Pirano was a restaurant opened by Gerard Kraft, wonderful guy, great downtown restaurant, St. Yeah. Louis, yeah, and um, great theme. I I don't think I ever made it, unfortunately, because uh, probably wasn't going out to eat that much back then. But I just remember seeing the visuals and it felt fresh. It looked great. Um, but now it doesn't exist anymore. Either. Yeah. And so it's like you can do great work and there's going to be a lifespan to it regardless. Yeah. I mean. Especially in design. Right? Oh, completely. Design, uh, not just restaurant design, but design and branding and websites and everything um, changes more quickly than ever but before, I think websites are so disposable nowadays, and right. just the internet and content and, and and everything in general just moves so quickly, uh, as it should. Yeah, uh, that it's you don't really have a lot of time to like cherish something. You know, like old designers, like the '60s or '70s or even '80s, they would make sort of these beautiful artifacts, and people still show them. Let me show you these VW well, ads. Lasted longer too. Yeah. There wasn't yeah. as quick as a, a turnaround yeah. time on the pieces that they made. Completely, but. But like uh, when I was uh, when I was younger, I'd look at uh, like vintage VW ads. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh my yeah. god, these are so cool! And I had like posters on my wall of them and these printouts and all this stuff. And I couldn't. I mean, there's no ad right now that I would ever put any. I would never hang anything up. You know, right. it's like now it's like an Instagram story. You'd have to screenshot or something. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, well, obviously the the media has changed. You know, we don't really read magazines that much. I get Fast Company still in the mail, but it the, just the, oh, you get the print, you get in the mail. print. Yeah, I get Fast Company in ink, and like I'll flip through them every once in a while, and then um, I'll actually look. I, I like keeping things around. I'm a big collector, maybe borderline hoarder. But I like keeping that stuff around to go back to it later. And it's very interesting. I think just like any kind of media that's focused on a, a certain period of time, it's interesting to go back to it and read about things that were just starting to happen. Yep. Whether it's like um, social media companies or new technology, you know, and to see what the perspective was. Because I think you can learn more going back reading that shit than you can staying on the, the forefront and reading it every single month. I, uh, God, I'm, so, I'm, uh, 
I'm just a terrible person, but I, uh, I know That's, I mean, I, I love like old <laughs> books about design and old, Fuck uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's great because like design's one of those things and not to just harp on design, but I guess life is one of those things where like, we're, we're constantly solving the same problem over and over and over. Yep. And like you, you look at, you start just to look at different media. Yeah. So you look at work and you're like, not just the visual part of the work, but you're like, how do they solve this thing? What was the problem? How do they yeah. do it? And like, I like to read, um, like old, like uh, Paul Rand books or uh, Charles Eames or all these like sort of iconic uh, heroes of mine uh, that uh, to, to hear about the problems, you know, and then uh, then you learn something along the way that you can apply to your stuff now, your situation now, and uh, there's a lot. Yeah, it's it's fun to read about the past, and nobody nobody nowadays everything is so forward thinking. What's next? What's next? What's next? And you know, sometimes you just rewind a little and figure right. out what it was. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, on that note, I was in uh, I was in North Carolina and found a design awards uh, annual from the year I was born. And I'm like, oh I gotta yeah, have this. I saw that. that was I gotta cool. have this because I want to know what was hot, what was going on the year I was born. Um, and it's incredible to flip through. You know, I I think I learn more looking at that than I do at any new work that's ever coming out. I have this uh, book in. Uh it's called Inventing Desire. <laughs> it sounds like a romance novel. And in a way, it is. But no, it's about uh, Shiat Day uh, in the 80s uh-huh. uh, transitioning into the 90s. And in the 1990, they won Agency of the Decade. Mm-hmm. You know, And they were like, they had all these accounts and all this stuff. And they were extremely popular. And if I remember the story right, uh, then they sort of like fell off and they lost like four big, big projects. And then they had to lay people off and they're scrambling to win a project. And, and, you know, that's like every day of my life. I mean, hopefully not the the tragic downfall, but sort of this idea of like the hustle and the grind and trying to keep a business going and uh, trying to still be creative and trying to still have ideals and mm-hmm. first making money. And, uh, but yeah, you could learn a lot from, from, uh, from just people that have done it before. But a lot of times what's interesting is like people don't really talk about like their failures. You know, they just talk about like, Oh, there's, you know, we've invented this great thing or here's this new service or whatever. Uh, but you never hear like all the times that they like, they blew it. You know, I think there's, uh, there's fun in that. Well, it's like even the acceptance of failure, it it comes and it goes. I remember, uh, reading Carlson Wilker, uh, dot Inc, which I believe they were understudies of, maybe Stefan Sagmeister. And they had the first book to where they actually showed all of their comps and yeah. mock-ups. It's yeah. called Tell Me Why. Yeah. And it's I, a great fucking book because it was, as a young designer reading that book or just flipping through it or whatever, it showed me that um, it's okay not to have a polished, finished product ready to go. And here's the thought processes that went into all the other ideas. Yeah. And so coming into design, you know, in the in the era that we did, which was pretty similar, because I was kind of getting into it at an earlier age, and you were having your business start up at around the same time, sure. I think. Yeah, and um, I think that you there's a, a large question of like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, I don't know what's happening, I don't know what's hip. You know, uh, it, it took me a while to even get gain a contemporary understanding of design. Um, and when I did, I still felt like I was treading water. And nowadays, I feel like, like probably everyone does, that we're just inundated with the amount of work coming out. And it's just, 
insane to try and even keep up, you know? And I don't even, I don't, I haven't even looked at like design websites or news sites in three years. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, and it's, it's a longer story. I think that relates also back to the, uh, longevity or the lifespan of a piece of work and why I'm kind of turned off from graphic design in general because I feel that the majority of the work that you do I would say 90% of the work that anyone does as a designer is going to the the trash heap you know and so I've really started to make a headway towards fine art because I think fine art by its nature which it can obviously include design um, has a longer lifespan if it's good. Fine art scares the crap out of me. I've bought, uh, so <laughs> I bought a bunch of like blank canvases for my house, you know, mm-hmm. and they're just sitting in the back of the office because like I can't, uh, I've never painted anything, but I'm yeah. like, that doesn't look that hard. But then I, I also have never tried. So it's real, it's real strange. Well, I think that um, my, uh, I don't, I can't paint. I've never painted. So when I think about fine art, I don't necessarily think about paintbrush on a canvas, but I've been uh, thinking about in different ways utilizing my background in graphic design. I think uh, expression is hard. So yeah. a lot of times, like in, in you know, design is a job, uh, you have constraints. It has to be this, and we need this. It's going to fit in this. It's going to be blue. It right. this logo. But when you can just make, make anything. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. I don't have any walls. What, what am I supposed to make? What are the rules? You know, what can I bend or twist? And it's like, there are no rules. Just right. do anything. And it's sort of like, for me, a lot of times it's deer in headlights because I'm like, uh, anything, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I think it's like, uh, at least the way it's been for me and I am, you know, I don't even consider myself an artist per se, but it's been trying to figure out a way to take my life philosophy and tie that into things that I'm proficient at and trying to combine them to say something meaningful. And by and large, it's been a lot of other people's quotes that I've put, on, that I've put into a, yeah, a canvas of some sort. Um, but it's, you know, I, and, and this isn't meant to be all about me, but I did uh, work with Brennan's where I wrote quotes and then I transformed those quotes into a physical installation and then I photographed it and then made prints out of that. Yeah, yeah, but you just showed me these just five minutes before we started. No, and the old, sorry, the ones for oh, the, the Brennan's in Central West End. Okay, yes, because I've seen the new ones, right, and right. those have the the constraint or the the guy the boundaries of sort of a theme between fitting in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it, these you know, two different aspects of the of the place, and I you know it's uh, it's the way you did it was was really clever. Uh, but without that constraint, you could just on anything and that's where, you know, it's, yeah. So then it's like, how do you constrain yourself? I think is the key into making art, you know, and, uh, man, it's, <laughs> it's uh, discipline. You, it's discipline. Do you, do you it, do it like often? Do you, do you, I'm constantly thinking about art ideas. And so I have uh, a long list of concepts, pure concepts. And it, it kind of balances back and forth. And like, I, you know, I think you have to pay, pay heed to your inspiration. And so my ideas are things that I are more conceptual in basis. You know, like I'm a big fan of Ai Weiwei, uh, Banksy, who isn't a fan of Banksy. Um, 
you know, things that have a little bit more conceptual heft to them and that are also aesthetically pleasing to a certain degree. And I'm, you know, uh, you have to take these ideas and say, all right, how do I execute this in a way that people will be visually pleased or emotionally uh, affected by seeing it? Do you write down your ideas? Of course, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like a, a so I, I wake up every day and I write uh, for a couple hours before my family wakes up. Yeah. And, uh, but I sit there every morning. I'm like, what the hell am I going to write about? And I stare at this blank page. And years ago, I started like archive things I thought about throughout the day or like meetings I went to or problems or situations or whatever. And so now I have this like whole list of things to draw on. Mm-hmm. But without the list, it, I, it would just be flying blind. I would just stare at like a blank pages document all day. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that or, you know, you would also just come up with a new list. I mean, I think that I, I try and make this comparison all the time that um, when I was young, I had all the ideas, but no way to execute them. When I got older, I had methods to execute them, but I forgot how to have the ideas. And now that I'm older than that, I have the methods to execute them. I have the ideas coming back to me. And it's a matter of trying to find fucking time to actually get them done. Like, that's the biggest thing now is, okay, that's a brilliant idea. All right, now I need to think about how I can execute that with the skill set and the materials that I have. Most importantly, hardest part. I need to have time to do it. And theoretically, you know, since I am my own boss now for 12 years, I would probably have more time, you would think, than anyone. But it's the exact opposite. I'm, and I'm constantly getting involved with new endeavors like this podcast or helping out a friend with their, you know, their bar open and doing some artwork for that. Or you know, thinking about a photo series that I would love to create. But obviously, uh, these things require time. Time requires money. And so you have to kind of come up with a method to allow you and enable you to. And I think typically fine artists, what do they do? You know, um, they either work a day job or they have grants. You know, I think grants are kind of the answer to the fording the time and the leisure to be able to execute some fine art that you have been contemplating. Um, And I am trying to come at it from a different angle. And I think this podcast is actually a ties into all this when if it goes how i'm hoping it goes i mean actually actually doing it like having the idea then saying damn it and then setting it up and making it work and all that stuff what do you mean well is it the uh are you satisfied in actually executing it you know from taking it from just some random thought to this could work and now we're actually sitting here recording it the concept once you um once you get your mind back to a place of saying okay i can have creative ideas again you really, you know, that's a practice that you have to maintain. And then it starts to happen without you realizing it. Or you take in a lot of information or you're reading or you're reading about the news or you're on Twitter or, you know, X, Y, Z. And then your brain kind of steeps on it. And then it eventually regurgitates it without you even thinking about it. And you're like, fuck, that's a great concept. I need to put that down on paper. Yeah. And then the concept may be solid. But it means nothing without the physical application of it, okay? So I'll talk about a concept that I haven't executed yet. It's pretty simple, and I don't care if anybody will steal it. (laughs) All these uh, four listeners that we'll have Mm. at the beginning of this, when this launches. They're crafty. But it's a uh, security camera 
a physical security camera, and it has um, the chain link style of bullets coming out the side of it. Chain link style bullets, like a uh, a bullet chain, you oh, know, like an okay. ammo belt, right? Basically, um, and like I wear around the house. Yeah. yeah, and so I think the concept of security killing you, or you know, just things being over secure and no privacy and the death of privacy, those are all themes that are kind of related to that piece. And I almost think it doesn't, it's not even important. Like the visually striking idea of a security camera shooting bullets is cool to me. And if I can find the way to execute that, then that's the challenge. Do you mean it as a, just to clarify, do you mean it as a metaphor? Of or do course. you mean it, I mean as, it a, as everything? As a, an actual device to. I don't, you know, it, it's the visual that comes to me. And then it's saying, all right. I'll have this visual of the security camera shooting bullets. That can mean a whole host of things to different people. You know, I think it's um, like music, especially the best stuff. You never really understand exactly what they're talking about all the times. I guess that's specific to a certain type of music. Hip hop is pretty literal. Yeah. Well, which is my favorite genre of music. I think yours too. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we just went down this weird art wormhole. <laughs> I'm trying to find my way back out. No, you're good. And I don't, you know, let me make a disclaimer. I don't necessarily want this to be a design and art podcast, even though that's what we both do. Like like I said in the beginning, I think it's easy for us to communicate to each other about different ideas. And I'm not really concerned about the design world, especially in our geographical location. Sure, yeah. So... You know, I don't want to necessarily get stuck on that, but it is something that we're both proficient in, and it's something that you do every day more so than I do. I think so. it's it's hard to separate uh, people from what they do every day. It's true. You know, yeah. like you you start to become like your actions and all this stuff. Although, uh, uh, I guess maybe not for everybody, but uh, yeah, it's I'm constantly inadvertently talking about design and business and marketing and all this stuff and kids and well let's let's uh yeah let's backpedal then a little bit and for you know i think it'd be interesting to hear kind of some of your story and how you got into this and 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 why you've continued to do it uh graphic design uh graphic design Uh, (laughs) um i'm trying to think where to start so i uh like what's the first piece of graphic design that you remember that that you actually thought about man this is cool this gives me good feelings looking at this thing I remember when I was uh, I never knew what I wanted to be right so right. just Same like every, every kid that world yeah, know, I wanted I've, to be I've a heard, trash man I've heard so many like graphic designer or designer origin stories where it's like I didn't know what to be then I went to college and I liked design and then I got a job whoa and it's it's pretty similar to that, but like uh, I remember the very first thing I ever uh, thought about on like a on a mass level, right? I saw you some as a kid. It's just like any other kid. I, I'd love to draw, right? Mm-hmm. So I was in fifth, I think fifth grade, and I was drawing like this skateboarder doing a during hand class. plant. Yeah, during class, uh, <laughs> doing a hand plant on a cactus. It was super cool, and I was so <laughs> stoked. And the teacher grabbed it from me, and he's like what are you doing? And, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm drawing. He's like, how would you like to draw a copy of this for everybody in the classroom? It's like a punishment. And I was like, I would, I would love that. It'd be great. <laughs> and he's like, no, I meant an exact copy and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, 
Uh, but you know, you never, you never put it together until years later. Like it was just something, but, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was from, um, uh, I'm from Florissant, Missouri. I, uh, yeah. (laughs) Represent. Uh, I didn't have a lot of like money or guidance around college. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I went to flow Valley community college, uh, where I was a general transfer Mm -hmm. student where I just took general classes and I needed an art credit. Because I, I never took an art class in my life. I mean, besides like grade school and, and stuff like that. But uh, I wasn't like into it. It wasn't my thing. Uh, I didn't know what my thing was. And uh, I could either take nude figure drawing featuring some of the senior citizens from the nursing home across the highway. <laughs> yeah. Or I could take a class called computer aided graphic design. <laughs> And so that almost sounds like a disability. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it it sort of is, uh, it became one. Uh, and so I took this class and it was like a three hour lab, which was such a a strange concept of drawing the old people. No, no, we made, uh, we made like fake logos and we learned illustrator and the pen tool and all this stuff. And when you talk about comparison, uh, I was just some kid, banging stuff out in Illustrator. It wasn't, it wasn't good. I was making like squiggly lines and Wu-Tang Clan logos and like, you know, just dumb stuff. Would you sketch it before? No. Or, no, yeah, I didn't sketch. Right no, I didn't do anything. I just thought, just sat down and uh, made stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't good. It was, it was pretty horrible. Uh, and so, but I didn't think anything of it. I'm doing the class. I'm learning this thing. I'm, I'm using these tools I'm supposed to use. Until one day I went to class and I'm walking down this hallway, and my my class was full of fine art students. Like they were amazing, and they were all about art and design and their life and there's their major and their profession, and they just made up their mind that they wanted to do this. Uh, so I was just this this dude in class. I wasn't like a I wasn't like one of those guys. Uh, but I'd walk down the hallway, and then all, everyone's work was hanging up, you know. <laughs> and so there were like. Beautiful, like hand-drawn angels scanned into the computer and colored and shaded and Photoshop and like beautiful woodland scenes of like log cabins and all this stuff. And uh, this is all the entire art department. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This whole wall. And then in the middle of it was my like Wu-Tang Clan logo (laughs) with like circle set type. Uh, And it was like Biggie Biggie Smalls is the illest, you know, and it was like just this doodle I made and then I got really like self-conscious over it and so I decided like oh I knew I couldn't (laughs) compete on beauty you know so I really wanted to make things that they couldn't be compared yeah you know so I started to try to be funny or irreverent or make make mock the project uh and so like we had to make a fict it's funny where does that come from like where was the idea behind that because you hated school or no just like uh uh, like Mad Magazine, yeah. you know what I mean? Just well, like you were sort of this, too, right? this parody, yeah. This like irreverence, uh, yeah. Mad Which Magazine, kind of inherent in skateboarding and reading Mad Magazine, yeah, yeah. Rebellion and all that fun, fun uh, that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, so we had like a. I remember the the instructor saying, <laughs> "Your job is to make a wine label bottle for this fictitious client," and I'm like, "This is the most unrealistic situation." <laughs> Uh, cause I'll, I'm not a designer. I'll never make a wine yeah. label for anybody. And, uh, you know, all these kids, all, all the artwork is beautiful. And mine, I called it booze hound wine and sold it for like 25 cents. It's like a, 
this like mad dog 2020 oh, yeah. kind of vibe. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward 20 years and I'm actually making wine labels for a winery <laughs> in Sonoma and doing brand identity. Is it called Booze Hound? No, no, it's, uh, it's much, it's, it it's much more <laughs> scale, but it's funny, you know, but I, um, class ended and, but I didn't, I was super stoked about, uh, just I'm how much fun. <laughs> yeah. But, but somewhat how much fun, uh, I had with design and computers and all this stuff. And so I bought a computer yeah. and, um, I, my friends I, I, in school, we use Mac, right? And so I was telling my friends, I'm like, I'm going to buy a Mac. And they all mocked me. And they're like, don't buy a Mac, buy a PC. You can play video games on it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool. So I buy this PC and we would play games on it and I'd beat the games. And I would say, hey, friends, do you have any more games? They're like, you should just play on the internet. And they're like, well, I don't know what that is. And so I would play uh, these games with these people on the internet and uh, they were really into these games and they would make these things called websites around these games. And me and my friend James <laughs> would sit there and say, oh, I like your website. We'll make you a button for it or we'll make you a logo were they, for it. Were they forums? It was kind of. It was like these, okay. uh, there was chat rooms before you entered the game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, real, it was real OG. Well, like what game? Uh, Duke Nukem, oh, of uh, course. Diablo, so all those. Duke Nukem uh, 3D and Diablo on network, mm. online. Yeah, correct. And yeah. then you would play the loading room? Or you would build yeah, the you'd sit room? in the loading room and talk to these people. Uh, Interesting. I didn't know. So that wasn't something that the software had? No, you had to, you had to pay a third party uh-huh. to network these games together. Okay. Well, I mean, what, what everyone does now a million times a day. Yeah, and I vaguely remember it, but I, I'm just trying to like get back to that mindset of yeah. what that was like. I remember like playing those games and joining, you know, like joining, and it would take like seven minutes. Yeah, to exa- join exactly. Game. Yeah, so you would sit there and you have lots of time to talk to these people. And, but they had these things called websites. I didn't know how to code a website or even what, what one really was, but yeah. we, uh, my buddy James and I would make little graphics around them. Uh, and then so we slowly started to figure out how to make websites, mm-hmm. you know, and then we started to figure out how to take our own design work and, and which we got a lot better at, uh, and, and build more, uh, artistic websites or expressive websites, which is cooler because the web back then was so boring, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was the wild west and you could do all this cool stuff. And so, well, so what was the, uh, the process from going to these, you know, Duke Nukem Lodem screens? Yeah, it to, sounds so professional, doesn't well, it? Well, I mean, you're just like, and then we started At making the time, I was website. like uh, 19 or something. But what year yeah. was this? Oh, it was 95, 94, okay. yeah. maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's when everything was available online. Yeah, everything. I remember downloading the Anarchist Cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> and like... Cutting up uh, match heads and putting them into a tennis ball. Yeah, we never we never did any of that. Oh uh, yeah, stuff. so half my uh, life was growing up on a barn. Okay, or on a barn on a farm. I always say barn. Growing up on a barn. Yeah, on top because yeah, the makes, flooding it makes it sound like a weather vane. Right. But no, I grew up on a farm, and uh, they had a faster internet speed than I did, and so we would like you know just try and figure out how to blow shit up. And so then he got my friend got into games. But I was more interested in like, wow, this is information that we can just transmit to everyone yeah, else in crazy. the entire world. It was crazy. We had uh, at one point, now that I have a Creative Cloud license for a long time, I could tell you this. Mm-hmm. But we would buy uh, 
these bricks of a hundred floppy disks to put our one copy of Photoshop on spanned across a hundred different floppies. It was, it was pretty ridiculous, bro. I'm still on CS 5.1. Yeah. But, um, so this internet thing caught on and we started to make our own websites and, uh, we'd start to design and code and, uh, we bought a domain called atomic dust and which is the name of our company now. And who came uh, up with it? Oh, uh, I did. Okay. And how, like, I th- I've always thought it was a great name, uh, and like, I want to know what inspired that. Like, was yeah, it- well, it was the '90s, uh, so like, there's lots of weird .dot com names. It was mm-hmm. like Razorfish, and oh yeah, which maybe isn't that oh, weird. That's right. There's all these like strange like pieced together names, um, and so in one of my philosophy classes, a philosopher, there's a quote that said, "Everything in the universe was made up of atomic dust." And I yeah. just sort of remembered that, and I don't know, but I would. It's very would similar sit- to that Carl Sagan line. Yeah, 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 I, I guess dust. so, yeah. But I would sit, eventually I got good at fixing computers because my PC would break a oh, lot. Yeah. So I, I got a corporate job fixing computers for more money than I could even fathom as a as a 20-year-old kid. Uh, but I was bored out of my mind. And so I had this book that I still have in the back of the office called Instant HTML. And I would sit there in text editor and I would learn how to code. Mm-hmm. And I would save them all in a folder called Atomic Dust. And it just, the folder kind of grew. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, but that's sort of the origin. So after that, we would moonlight for a while. Yeah. Uh, a couple more friends of ours joined us. Um, we eventually quit our day jobs and, and um, started the company. And uh, now we're, we've been doing this in this model. We've been doing it together for about 20 years, but in this model, if it's like an actual business with like a space and employees and everything, it's uh, been 18, 18 years. Uh, yeah. So yeah, man, I mean, and I, I don't play Duke Nukem anymore, although I would love to. Honestly. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot that you just uh, kind of just like skipped over. From from going from the uh, starting to make more and more websites to having a company for eighteen years and there's oh yeah well well I and understandably so but no I mean I think it's um you know I think in this day and age it's it is an accomplishment to have developed what you've done and it's not that um you know we're not famous people don't know who we are Uh, we have our sphere of influence in the St Louis area. Well, thanks to this podcast. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's going to double to about eight <laughs> people here in a minute. Now I'm going to know four people. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I feel like there's some moments of this podcast that only you and I are actually going to like. That's great. That's <laughs> Which, better. That's fine. I don't it's give half a fuck. the audience. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it's, um, man, I, I, I think... It's always interesting to hear about the way that people come into their life and how they're successful about doing what they're doing, and it's uh, it's always inspiring in some way or another. Even if no, you know, even if it's not a, a celebrity or a famous situation, it's uh, you you have provided and you have made something that has a lasting impact, and you have employees that uh, require you to have this existing in order to sustain their lives. You know, you, you have a domino good. effect of an impact. 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 <laughs> French. I don't speak French. Impact. No. My favorite typeface. Um, just kidding. So I, 
I I don't want to I don't want to harbor on it, but at the same no, time, no. I think it's an uh, it's an impressive thing to build a company in this day and age and have it be successful doing something that you love doing. The majority of people don't do that. Uh, the majority of people don't even think about doing that. They're just worried about surviving. And it is such a gift to like, man, have your own fucking office. Now you have all the Macs. Now you have <laughs> now you have unpirated copies of Photoshop. We're legit. We're legit. <laughs> you know, I think that it's good to sit back every once in a while and just like say, man, I can't believe that I'm at this place because 20 years ago I saw this and wished that it could have been me. It's, I mean, it sounds nice and it's... Uh... It's important to do though because I feel like people get so caught up in just doing the work and paying the people and making payroll and coming to work. The whole and, grind of it. Yeah. You know, what's funny is uh, whenever I have a uh, like a bad day, I'm, I'm constantly walking around this block, by the way, uh, like every day, twice a day I walk. People don't, people don't know where we are. Yeah, no, but it's about, it's about it's a, a mile, location. this little loop that I just walk around because like there's usually something that I'm like stressed out about. Um, and then sometimes I'll take my, uh, my partner, Jesse, my business partner, Jesse, on a walk and say, he's like, what's up? And we get like halfway to the to through the path, you know, mm-hmm. and I go, nothing. Yeah. Everything is fine. We should really just appreciate <laughs> that everything's cool. Uh, and it's so simple. But I mean, we, we do reflect on it. But I don't really, uh, I don't think, I mean, it, maybe I'm naive, or, but I, I don't really f- feel like this big sense of like, I've accomplished this thing. I mean, all I did was really just put, I just kept like putting one little baby step in front of each other. And I, uh, I wanted to look down or turn around plenty, yeah. you know, but like, I just, I just didn't, or my friends wouldn't let me or my partners who are fantastic, uh, wouldn't let me. And so it's like, you just, there's no, there's, there's not always, uh, uh, the, the trick is there's not always like a choice, mm-hmm. you know, like it's really, I know some, some agency owners, uh, who haven't been so lucky, um, uh, and they've they have to close up, yeah. and that's like so hard and tough and like depressing. And I remember when I was first started, I would when like a competitor would go out of business, I was so happy. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, they're terrible and blah blah blah. Now I'm so like sad over it because it's not just like a uh, and I've I've matured a, a little a little bit, uh, but like it's it's uh, it's just terrible. You know, it's yeah. a terrible thing to experience in. Uh, uh, it's a terrible thing, not just to like close a business, but it's, 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 you feel like a complete failure, you know? Well, it's, uh, I think that you're talking about basically just going from, um, like worried about making money to not worried about making money. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Well, I think like with anything you have this, uh, this expectation of, uh, I tried my best, so of course it'll work, or I worked hard, and sometimes it's just not in the damn cards, you know? And I think, I just see, it's really hard to make a living, carve out a living for your life doing creative work, Mm -hmm. like work that you love, that's your passion. It's not always that easy. And like when people try, uh, you have to applaud them, you know, even if they're competitors, at least they're 
they're trying, but when they fail, it's so, it's not just like, oh, I, I have to close my CPA business. You know, it's like, was my work not good enough? Was my ideas not good enough? I, That's interesting. You know, just sort of like, it's more, I think it's more, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I just feel like it's more deeply personal. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But that goes back to sort so you're of saying comparison. It's better than other professions. <laughs> is it better than other <laughs> I'm professions? Just kidding. No, it is more deeply personal because, like, when you're talking about CPA or, financial auditing or whatever have you it's uh it's more straightforward you know it's not about um how good of the work that you, i mean it is about how good the work you do but it's like you there's no creative influence well i think good I, I good creative businesses are usually built on the reputation of the people and of the eventually the place itself. And when you start off, it's just it's just the people, you know, because yeah. there's hardly any rep, um, and so it just people take it really hard. And you know, and they and they should. It's it's a hard thing to go through. But uh, anyway, my whole thing is I, I've been really lucky. I haven't done alone like. And every success I, I've ever had has been with a group of people that are like far more talented. Uh, but not as good as at Duke Nukem as, as I am. Uh, but you know, it's always you know it's, it's collaborative, and it, it really is. And that's just not like uh, puffery. That's like a like projects. The, the work we do now have been the result of arguments and in uh, inspiration and moods and and all these these this culmination of of things. Um, and so it's hard to be like, oh, I built this, you know? I mean, yeah. I did, I yeah. guess, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't alone or it wasn't this brave decision I made. It was like, uh, I mean, it was, yeah, at some I guess. Point, but you know, there was some point of where you're like, I'm not going to, uh, go work for someone else. I'm going to start my own company. Yeah. So yeah. What, you said you were working for an IT company. Mm-hmm. And then was there another job in between that before you went Yeah, they were all... Uh, so I worked at uh, MasterCard. was that, my first right. real yeah. real finger, air quote, um, job. Uh, then I Creative worked at, job. No, it was, no. It was the uh, IT support help desk. Oh, this was their, the IT job. Yeah, this is okay. the IT job. Uh, then I worked at a, a place called Capgemini, mm-hmm. uh, doing the same thing, just sort of help desk work. Uh, and then I got a job at a St. Louis startup around the year 2000, maybe it was 99, uh, called Max Football. And that was my first web developer job. Man, so I used to do front do. end. Uh, so, okay, this is really dating everything, but uh, ESPN.com didn't really exist then. Yeah. So Max Football was a place that would show live sports scores uh, and oh give game highlights and actually shoot video of commentary of games while they were playing. Wow. Yeah, it was super cool. And yeah. right out of St. Louis and uh uh it was it was pretty progressive uh for the time. But but I, I was a front end web developer and then I uh eventually got a job uh working with the Lawrence group to uh to start a design division within that company. Um yeah, and then we, we left the Lawrence group to start Atomic Dust full time. So you got hired by another company that was seeing what you were doing with this startup to start a design division in the Lawrence Group is an architecture yeah firm yeah. and they I didn't even know that they yeah. hired you to set up the internal design team. Well, it wasn't me alone, but yeah, they were okay. they were trying to start uh, the internet was catching on. Uh, they mm-hmm. wanted to offer uh, web services and design services for their existing clients. Hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I helped kind of build out the team 
Cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, podcast. And so we, then we that experience helped you to figure out how to do the company. Yes, and I will say uh, the Lawrence Group, which is an architecture uh, and uh, design shop um, in they St. Louis, pretty awesome. Oh, projects. completely. But they're they're doing the uh, their biggest impact was they they had the one of the best cultures I've ever seen in a, in a in a company environment. I came from really sort of cold places where uh, I'd have to wear a suit. And I sat in a cubicle in the corner and no one ever saw me. Yeah. Uh, and if I was more than five minutes late twice a week, I was mm-hmm. fired. You had 30 minutes for lunch. And if you're more than five minutes late more than twice a week, you're fired. And you sort of live in this fear, you know. And you'd look over and you'd see people that worked there for like 15 years. Do you have any you know? close calls? No. I'm, <laughs> I'm very punctual. Uh, but still, it's just the idea of fear. And I, I got, uh, eventually got a job at uh, the Lawrence group. And it was like just the opposite. It was just the, the, it was, it was like, uh, it showed what a, what a company culture could be. Mm-hmm. It was warm and friendly and positive, um, and creative. And it was just great. So I, I mean, I really, uh, so how'd you do this when you didn't? Cause remind me, did we yeah. talk about your college career? Oh yeah. Well, uh, I never finished school, right? Because I got really good at fixing computers, uh-huh. and you're the I, original college dropout. Yeah, yeah. Kanye West, yeah, has got nothing on you. He needs to call me for a collab. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I left, and I'm not like, I'm not proud of that, but I'm not yeah. embarrassed by that either. Sure. I'm I'm constantly back and forth. I'm hoping that we one are more day, successful than most. BFAs that I know. Well, I hope one day I get an honorary <laughs> degree. It's my whole goal. You know, the only thing I can think about when you say that is fucking Bill Cosby, who got honorary don't, degrees. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> no, you can't. It's not the same. I'm I not. Know, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. It's amazing. But it's in amazing. my in my <laughs> at my elementary school library, there was a photo of prominent African Americans, and there was for some reason a photo of. Bill Cosby in full <laughs> graduation garb, and I don't know why it was on the on the on the wall of my library, and it said honorary degree at wherever the fuck it was. Bill Cosby. Yeah, uh, that's Sorry. that's my uh, you're no that's you're, my plan. You know Bill Cosby. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, in ma- yeah, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah. So I, I never finished school, and I'm always um, for years. I was really embarrassed by that, you know. And then for years, I was really proud of that. Yeah. And now I'm not. I'm not either. Really, well, I, I I'm, I'm both. I'd I say. think the people uh, that um, they have had a big influence in my life uh, didn't finish school, and they seem to be uh, at the top of their game. Um, one of my good friends, who I'm going to interview later, Josh Boston. He uh, didn't even begin to go to college. He just started getting into graphic design in high school. You really, I mean, you really don't have to. I like, right. and I don't mean that as you don't need it to get a job because in today's environment, you kind of do. But like, oh, I think you need it to get uh, a good salary. Is what I'll say. Yeah. Well, I don't like disagree. If, if, if you go to a, an employer and they say, "Oh, you didn't go to college." You know, you're just looking to bypass the system. We're going to give you a lower salary, or you don't. You just don't even get to the employer. Some yeah. uh, computers nowadays won't even won't even accept your application, or they'll filter you out if you don't have. Oh, you mean HR? Yeah, HR. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, HR software. Uh, That's there's up. this great line. That's by, crazy, yeah. especially in the creative 
Well, uh, creative, well creative's, creative's a whole other, a whole other planet. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's like, what can you do? But it, what can you do with a blank page? We almost know that now without saying it. But rewind 15 years ago. Yeah. And it wasn't that straightforward. Like, I remember going to college and there was emphasis placed on getting a BFA yeah. in graphic design because that was the sure way to know that you would have employment once you got out of college. Right. And I'm like, I mean, at, at that time, I wasn't necessarily super interested in the classes and the work that the BFA graphic design students had to do. And so I was like, no, that's, I understand that, but uh, no, thank you. I'll pass on that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and now I think it is less, um, there is less of a stigma. Like, you know, do you got a BFA? Who asked that? It's like, show me your work. Show me your thought process. Show me what you're thinking. I think what the, influences you? And we'll go from there. The internet is the great equalizer. Like nowadays. Totally. like In the, so many ways. You can, you can learn. I mean, God, how do I, how do I even begin this rant? Um, you, with the internet, you don't. You can, you can learn at your own pace. You can learn the topics you're interested in. You become mm-hmm. a master at, at one thing uh, if you just want to, if yes. you take the time to do Especially it. Especially now. Yeah, but years ago, you couldn't do that. You know, you had to, the only way to, to sort of get this knowledge was to go listen to someone teach it and buy this book and, and all that stuff. Isn't it so hard to even take your mindset back to that now? Yeah. Because now it's like... Completely. Now it's like, I'll just watch a video and then I'll learn how to do it. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I think... Uh, that's that's really great. I, uh, God, there's this great line from the RZA, from the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, who said, whether I went to school or not, I would always study. Yeah. You know, and I love that because yes. that's sort of me. Like, I'm wrapped up in no um, in learning and reading and writing and trying to get better and trying to figure out uh, the best way to run a business and the best yeah. way to be creative and the best way to add value to clients and the best way to make people's lives better and the best way to be a parent and all these crazy things that everybody's supposed to know nowadays. But, uh, yeah, but I think, but you just, you're just, you have this box and you can just type in what you want to learn and then take the time to do it. And the, and the truth is some people don't, you know, well, they just don't, they don't use the, the, what they have. They want someone to, to tell them what it is for sure. And the, um, the, the, the ability or the cutoff for that is even so much greater now because you know you're talking about like a loving of learning and a love for knowledge and trying to figure out how to do something and if you look back i remember having encyclopedia sets and saying okay i'm interested in this i got two sets Just of encyclopedia right. for two pieces you know to provide two perspectives on one piece of information and not to sound not that not to like take this you know back to the good old days, but it's like um, that's a that's a uh, to use contemporary nomenclature. That's a barrier to entrance for a shit ton of people. Yeah. And now we literally have the book from Inspector Gadget that Penny had that opens up. Yeah, that's like we, I have thought about that. Yeah, we have. Uh, I think that's how that that shit worked. I need to Google that. But we literally have the sum of human knowledge at our fingertips, and now it's not so much a barrier to entrance; it's a barrier, it's a self-imposed barrier of interest and time, and, and stamina, almost. Yeah, you know, it's like I—I uh, I don't know. That's just something that blows my mind all the time. 
It was, what's funny to me is, uh, so I have kids and, uh, they're constantly on the internet, although we try to do our best to monitor everything we can, or they're not constantly on, but so I've, uh, my oldest son is super into lacrosse. Well, you know, what's funny is we've never been a lacrosse game. I don't know anything about lacrosse. He's never played lacrosse, yeah. but he learned everything about it on YouTube. And he's constantly watching it. And I never asked him to. He's just interested. And so it's sort of like this, uh, you go down these rabbit holes of, of interest. And but there's you, still, I mean, he still didn't get the same amount of skill and learning until he had a coach. Correct. Well, now he's until on a he team. Physically he, throwing a, a lacrosse ball. Yeah. And catching oh, yeah. it. Completely. Yeah. But but the internet was sort of the, the, you know, the inspiration of it. You yeah, know? you get and, the terms. You get the concepts. You know how the game is played. I remember, you know, like, playing soccer uh, and not knowing a lot about soccer. And then I think that's a part of that people don't have to put up with as much nowadays because everybody has a fucking encyclopedia that's constantly updated by a large group of people all the time. And so there wasn't any gaps there. uh, There isn't any gaps in your knowledge nowadays, or there doesn't need to be as to where back in the day, it was like there were secrets to things, you know, there was like, Ways to find out different types of information. And yeah, positively and negatively, those those gaps are disappearing. You know, I think it's good in a lot of ways in terms of myths and dispelling um, um, rumors, although it's also weirdly coming back as a way to like uh, reinforce bad ideas like yeah, vaccines it's, it's, and shit like that. Yeah, it's it's wonderful and terrible, you know. But right. it's just, it, I guess, to, I guess no, we're just, just talking like about the internet. And just, <laughs> is this what all podcasts do? They just start talking about yeah. the internet. It just depends <laughs> on how you use, you know, anything. But uh, but I don't know. I've always the stuff I've been curious about. I've always found a way to to learn about it. Yeah. You know, and I think most most people have. You know, most people that are excited about something or passionate about something always find a way to make it happen. And if right. not, I think they're just like completely frustrated in their lives and or they uh, don't even know that they can or should yeah or they wear a suit every day to sit in a cubicle and they're afraid to be five minutes late to lose their jobs because they're told they can't do anything besides that yeah so what it i mean i'm not i'd like suits that's fine yeah no suits are fine i think what you're talking about though is more so the unexamined life of just going about your business and never questioning it and my God, I, there are definitely times where that feels comfortable, you know, or, or like people are like, what are you doing now? Like, why are you doing this? How do you, how are you alive? There's a general uh, pushback to any time <laughs> someone is like, what are you trying to do now? You trying to start your own company, Mikey? Uh, why are you doing a podcast? You know, your voice sounds like a dumpster or something, you know? You're familiar with my work. It's good. No, I'm talking about myself. Oh, good. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I, I I always say that my mom was a great uh, uh, plumb line for things that I wanted to do. You know what a plumb line is? Yeah, it's the old line. tool to measure. Right, it's a heavy weight that hangs at the bottom of a wire in a house to make sure that the house is level. As far as I know, I'm not a general contractor. But I would be like, Mom, uh, you know, I'm going to quit my job. She'd be like, oh, you're making good money. I'm like, all right, I know. But I think that's the thing to do. Mom, I'm going to call my company anti-agency. <laughs> She's like, that's an awful name. No one's ever going to hire you. Then I'll hear from all my family. Why are you calling it that? No one's ever going to hire you. 
you know, and then it, and, and that, which leads to the name of this podcast, which I think is going to be called anti, but it's, um, it, it, it's funny. Like we all know the comfortable person, you know, the, the, the person in our lives who has chosen to not care. You know, I put that not care in air quotes because they do care about their own things, but like, just go on with their lives and make the salary and have the kids and uh, maybe that's it. You know, like, is, is it weird for us to want more than that? I don't. <laughs> the thing is, like, I... Am I getting too deep? No, I don't I don't know if it's too deep. I uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the salary or the, or the stability of a job if it's something you enjoy. Yeah. You know, like, my job honestly exists because I, no one else would hire me. Yeah. You know, so I had to start a, my own company and, uh, but I, you, you just try to make the job you wish you had, you know? Right. And so, and you know, so a lot of times if you read any business book, which I'm constantly reading business books, but they say, oh, do you only read business books? Yeah. I only read By business much? books. Uh, you- not because that's, um, not because I'm good at business, but yeah. because I'm not good at business. I just... I just find, I feel more productive. Like I learn stuff. And, and and honestly, if you read five business books, they're all the same. Oh, of course. It is like a yeah. remix of information uh, over and over and over. Mm-hmm. But you learn different ways to tell the same sort of principle. You know? Sure. Um, but really, uh, God, I lost my train of thought. I was talking about, um, oh, yeah. Um, so people that have jobs, I think... It's great if as long as they is as long as they're happy and fulfilled, you know. Yeah. With me, I had to I I just had to make my own thing because I didn't want to work in these sort of uh, corporate places anymore. Although I'm sure people are happy doing that. It just I just think you know everybody's kind of different, and I think that nowadays in society there's this pressure, and I think business is more popular than ever, and CEOs and all this stuff. Are more fashionable than ever, so it's you know you should start a business and be successful and blah 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 and be rich and all this stuff. Uh, but I think it's just a lot of pressure, you yeah. know, for for everybody to to feel like they should be doing more and doing more. Um, Man, I I would love to talk about that. Um, this like cult of productivity and uh, people like The Rock, for example, makes me feel Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne. The Rock Johnson. Mm. It, it, I'm like, I watch him on Instagram and he's doing 110 different things. It appears making hit movies, uh, doing stuff with Under Armour, launching his own tequila. And these are all great things, but it's like, you know, the guy supposedly sleeps like four hours a night and he hates downtime. He was in that Tooth Fairy movie where he <laughs> played the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> I'm just saying. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. Won the pinnacle. Yeah, it's really it's career. a high point. But it's like he's so it's good. It's he's good. so on. Oh yeah, all the time. And and he's always working out, and the dude is just completely jacked and ripped. And I don't, you know, I don't see that as happiness. I see that as like for me again. Maybe he's extremely happy, and I'm not. I'm trying not to be judgmental. But like it's just he has no downtime. He has no self reflection time, and maybe, or it appears that way, you know. Yeah. And it's like I don't, I don't know. I personally need time to self reflect. 
to know if what I'm doing is what I should be doing. I think that's like, you know, the illusion of the internet. Like, yeah, the, well, of yeah, course, you, the you, prob- you probably based. never take see photos of them sleeping, or maybe you do. Or maybe that's what you're into, but no, for sure. But I, yeah, I mean, you, know, you just get the his his persona or vloggers, or, for yeah. example, like Casey Neistat. Oh my god, yeah, like yeah, I love. I'm a huge vlogger fan. I just think like oh, I'm not the, anymore. Oh, I I completely I just the, because the the. It has got to be one of the most difficult things to do. It is so hard for me to like write every day, but yeah. to sit in front of a camera and talk about something interesting for millions of people to watch. And then edit it for three to four hours a yeah. night. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. So I, I more props to, to vloggers. I think like it's just such a super disciplined thing. And we know of like, I know of but a don't couple. You, don't like, you think that like, I guess the question I'm trying to get at is, why you know well i think people psychologically that's a draining thing you know like oh i don't say i don't you and i will probably be zoned out after doing this podcast for x amount of hours i think there's uh there's something about discipline and routine Mm -hmm. that people find refreshing and i and i personally find refreshing and i think once you have that um routine is where you it's not it doesn't become a burden anymore it becomes sort of a uh, it becomes momentum uh you probably you might have heard about the story of uh, of jerry seinfeld where he would uh, every day he would well young comedians would walk up to him and say hey what's the secret to mm-hmm. doing everything and he says well don't break the chain and what he meant by that is that every day he would write jokes for two hours mm. and on, he had this giant paper calendar on the wall, and every day he wrote jokes. He would take a giant marker and make a big X through the day. Oh, yeah. And in, after a couple of days, he would have this chain of Xs. And it was, his, it was the discipline that he found happiness in and, and structure in. And so when I look at, when I look at like uh, Casey Neistat or, or any of these vloggers that do it every day, uh, I think it's just the, I think it's really hard to start. Mm-hmm. But once you have that momentum, like you just sort of flow with it, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm super jealous. Like I wish I had more, the, uh, more of that. The format to me is like, you know, it's pretty simplistic. It's like, I have a crazy ass life. Um, here's the camera on me right. doing what I'm doing and I got to keep it crazy every yeah. time. And like, I got to put all caps in the video title, like, um, I took a twenty five thousand right. airport. The secret to becoming flight. rich is this. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is about, uh, and it gets hokey. It gets played out. And that, that to me, that's why I don't think that vlogging is that interesting anymore. Because it's like y'all are just trying to continue to create this um, one upmanship in terms of attention. And so it's like I, you know, it, whereas if you look at at his older work, which I'm a giant fan of. Oh, was, the films? Sure. Just the short films that he was making, talking about anything. Like, silly shit. But it was it had heart and soul to where it became such a um, commonplace practice for him that it lost like any sort of specialness or uniqueness to it. Uh, that's where... like I haven't watched it because I haven't cared in a long time. Like I know he's got this whole... And not to harp on Casey Neistat, I think he's extremely talented. That should go without saying. I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan. I'm saying in terms of what I have been paying attention to and watching, 
Um, not that that's necessarily even a good thermometer. Uh, it's just that I don't have the same type of interest that I had when I first found out about him and even a couple of years into watching his content. I think it's with more sort of popular or I guess mainstream or yeah. these, which he's definitely gotten over the years. Oh yeah. I mean, it's gone from one to 10 million. Followers. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. And props to him. I, uh, but he's also, his audience is so many different types of people totally. that every day it's so broad and it's sort of just entertainment for entertainment. Um, I, I watch a lot of, um, so is it, is it then that he is trying to appease a larger following or base of fans and that he's lost, like, you know, we all start off with these things that we're super interested about and we make work or we read or we take in work related to that. But then if you get more popular, does it become more of a, um, attempt to please a larger audience instead of saying, I like this weird shit, you know? I don't think it's attempt to please. It's just sort of maybe feeding or maybe that's all you know. I mean, yeah. just for example, so I, I will listen to, or I guess I watch a lot of vloggers uh, who are designers and they have like little okay. two-person I businesses. Even, like who, I don't even know This guy any. named, uh, uh, his name's Ran. Uh, what is that like? <laughs> it's it's great. It's It's a guy in his studio with a camera and he's like, Today I had this meeting with this client and I didn't know what to do. And so I thought I bought these four things and here's these things I struggle with and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm going to try to approach it like this. And it's just, it's, it's really simple and it's, uh, it's transparent and it's not overly produced. It's not zany, but it's relatable because Mm -hmm. that's the type of, uh, it's the type of situations I I find myself in. So you're like, well, what would this guy do? So it's kind of like having, uh, sort of a, a consultant, you know, I mean, in a weird way, uh, kind of just share their, their stories and their, and their, their perspectives on things. Yeah. It's but, not it, but it's not this crazy wacky thing. Uh, not yeah. that I think Casey's always crazy or wacky. I just feel like, um, when he's on, he's, he's so good. When Casey's yeah. on, he's so good and he's so heartfelt. And when he actually has like a, uh, like some kind of perspective to share, it's great. And he does it on such a mass level. But it's got to be harder to do on a mass level than to say, here's advice for designers about this one particular situation, or here's totally. advice for business owners around one thing. So, yeah, but I, I, I love the medium. I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish I, I could do, do it more. Well, and I think that's the truth with anything that becomes, uh, that has a larger audience. You know, like anything that starts off with, for listeners like the anti podcast currently has, <laughs> right? And then it, it, they feel like an ownership of it, and they feel like they belong to a, a group of people that were the first, uh, what's the Gladwellian term, first adopters, I guess, or early yeah. adopters. And then, um, as something transcend, you know, as something hits the tipping point and becomes more popular, it brings on a whole new audience. And then that audience has conflict with the audience that was there from the earlier stages. Yeah, yeah. And so then it's like, well, who, you know, which audience is correct or does it even matter, you know? And, and then is the person have to cater whatever they're doing to the larger audience or the original audience, you know? And if they don't cater to the original audience, and I'm talking about anything like music, especially as probably the first thing that always pops to my head, 
But if they don't cater to the original audience and they're sellouts, you know, you didn't know this person back when they were actually yeah, putting out exactly. the good shit, you know? I knew them when they were in their garage and struggling. Right. And, yeah. I heard Anderson Peck talking about this on uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And um, have you, do you listen to Anderson Peck that much? No, no. He's really good. He reminds me of um, like when Kid Cudi first came out. You're a Cudi fan, right? Oh, yeah. Or back in the day or... Yeah, I think everyone's a Cuddy fan back, back in the, the day. day. Jesus. Like his early work, but his he uh, he made that one album that a lot of people weren't into because it was like a different. Well, to me, to sort me, it was the whole mixtape that he put out before he even had a fucking album. Yeah, yeah. That had so day and night. I believe that was two thousand seven. That's testing my memory without googling it. Uh, he put that out, and I think it got popular through like MySpace and wow. MTV and stuff. Through Duke Nukem? <laughs> <laughs> Through Duke Nukem preloading screens? <laughs> and then um, he had this Kid Cudi and Plain Pat, or Plain Pat, or Project Pat, presents uh, the mixtape, or the, the kid from the kid from Cleveland, or that kid, I can't remember. It's all, it's all chasing my head. I, I need a producer that can search this stuff. <laughs> but that, rem- that mix album, um, or remix album, uh, I'm not even calling it the right. What's the term? Mixtape. Mixtape. Jesus Christ. Mixtape that he put out was the coolest thing I think he ever did. And then he did Man on the Moon. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, there's some songs from the mixtape. This is great. And then he did the next album, which that's the one that everybody like <laughs> is just sort of it fell off. And then know? he just kept putting out album. Then he did like a weird hard rock album. And I'm just like, this isn't even any good anymore. So the same with Anderson Pack is that he also found uh, fame with earlier types of work, and then he was talking about how he's been working with Dr. Dre, and Dr. Dre has brought this different kind of influence, and some might call it not as good of an influence. It's more like Dr. Dre, as he's gotten older, has kind of massaged his sound and made it more friendly and more crisp. And, and, and if you take a look back at like the chronic and the older stuff, it had more of a gritty feeling to it, probably just by the nature of how he was making it. And so people are now upset at Anderson Pack. Not upset, but like disappointed. You're not making the music that you were making when you when nobody you're knew you. supposed to be this thing and you're different. And so now oh, you know yeah, I think it, that's the that's the trap, you know? It's like it is. Uh, is the is the creative person fulfilled with their own, and they shouldn't care about the critics, or do they play to the critics? You know, that's sort of the the balance of it all. It is, yeah, and it's hard, I think, to to tie it back to the you know the beginning of the conversation to be one um, self regulatory um, to hold your work up to a highest level to even knowing what that level is, and then continuing to push whatever that may be, you know? And like, there's very few musicians, artists, people that you know in general that have done that. And I think that that's why we kind of, um, you know, deify them when they do come around, like David Bowie or Prince or, well, honestly, Prince's Prince's last music was not that great. Well, that's the thing. David Bowie consistently always made even better and better music. (laughs) And I, I always listen to just the early stuff. You know, I yeah. Mean, I mean, his last album, though, Black Star, is one of the best. It, it's I have probably to check the check it out. I hear good things. It's but. probably the first David Bowie album I've listened to in total, like wow. and, at once. And of course, I listened to all the music from before, 
but I've never listened to all the deep cuts from, you know, all his previous albums that he has. And maybe that's me, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up listening to records at an early age and like taking in all the classic notes about Bowie. I had to listen to Christian music until I was like 14. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's something there in terms of like creating something, why we created in the first place, why you get attention from creating it, why you get popular from creating it. And then, either you continue to do the same thing or you change it up. And that's true, I think, with every creative person. You know, um, I bet there's people that are like, man, that old Atomic Dust work that you were doing, (laughs) you know, so much cooler than this new Atomic Dust work. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's just like, fuck off. Like, I mean, as the person who's doing it, you're probably just like, you don't even understand the dynamics of what we've gone through as people or as a well, company it's, it's or like through our aesthetics like, and what we're just trying like to... all those musicians where we're you know, right. we're dissing their their later works because right. it's we're, not what we expect of them. But we're getting a single stream, yeah. you know, and, and, of your work that you put out as a company or a musician's work as a song, without even knowing what the rest of their life is entailing yeah. and, and expecting it to be like. Mm, this one didn't bump like it used to. <laughs> you know, Jay-Z's got that great line. He says uh, something like, uh, uh, if if you like my old shit, buy my old album. Yeah. You know, I think that's... Yeah, the old Kanye. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think there's an obligation to... Maybe there is. I don't. I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I've never achieved some level of success where an audience where there's uh, a large yeah audience. would yeah. would either. Uh, Isn't it funny though how people want to get after a larger audience all the time? Yeah. And then when they do get after a larger audience, typically the work tends to suffer. Oh yeah. Isn't that like that's a weird thing? I mean, that's a natural process, I guess, in terms of creating anything. Because you you get the accolades from putting something out into the general, you know, public mindset and public uh, awareness, and then they love you for this, and they're like, "This is ah, this is what he's about," and then you change it, and you're like, "This sucks," or or it's confusing. I think confusing is personally the best response to any new work because Mm. I think uh, anytime, like for example, I've watched a new Quentin Tarantino movie. I've always been a little confused. You always compare it to the old Quentin Tarantino movie. Right. And when the first time I watched Pulp Fiction, which is the first Quentin Tarantino movie I ever saw, I didn't like it. I was younger, obviously. I was like, I don't even know, 15, 16. And, uh, you know, being the young, impressionable Christian kid that I was, I was like, man, this is this is wrong. This offends my spirit. But my other friends... It's a whole podcast right there. Well, that'll be probably a recurring theme. But my other friends were talking about, you know, Pulp Fiction and like, ah, it's so crazy. The story, you know, this non-linear. I don't even know what that word means yet. Uh, Bruce Willis is badass again. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And I watch it again. And I'm like, oh, this is... There's something there. There's something about Samuel L. Jackson reciting that Bible verse. That just excites me. And, and you'll know my name is the... Yeah. <laughs> you're right. It's good, yeah. And then you start taking in other chunks, and then you're like, oh my God, this is maybe my favorite movie that's ever been made. And then you expect, okay, I want Pulp Fiction 2. <laughs> what, 
when he puts it out. And then, of course, like he didn't do that. And he, he you know, I, I think was Reservoir Dogs before Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, it was. Before, if I remember right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before. And that's a completely different format, completely different theme. Similar in the fact that you know you have these hitmen type wearing black suits and white tie or black ties. Um, but obviously everyone knows how his career has gone since then. And it, it is just, you know, what is it that is able to push yourself into different interesting areas without resting on your laurels and also appealing or appeasing, not appeasing. I don't want to say appeasing, but appealing to people that are paying attention to what you're doing. Like that is, that may be the hardest thing to do in the world. <laughs> I think as a creative person, you can't, you can't, you just can't worry about the audience, you know, because yeah. people are going to love it or hate it, you know? And I think like, True. like once you just start to create things, just that, sorry, create things that are art, mm-hmm. right. Uh, that are like a reflection of how you feel about something. Um, once you start to do it just to get liked, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like you're a hack. Yeah. You know, there's a, uh, there's a great book that I've, Probably, I've listened to an audiobook probably, God, five or six times a year. It's called The War of Art. Mm-hmm. It's by a guy named Stephen Pressfield, and he talks about sort of the the creative struggle and and uh, the discipline of creativity and how it's uh, it'll just knock you on your butt, um, but it's important to to to, uh, to to keep going and and uh, and create stuff every day. But he says something like, once you start, I was on the fence about this as I was hearing you talk, like what, what's, what should an artist do? But his advice is that once you start to just play what your audience wants, uh, then you're, you're kind of over, you know? Uh, now, unfortunately, your career may be over if they don't like it. Uh, but as a, as, a, as a creative being, you know, you owe it to yourself to do what you feel is correct. And if people love it or hate it, uh, he's got this great line that I always remember when I uh, get some terrible public feedback on something we did, um, or terrible. Whenever we, whenever I get the the minute, the most minute criticism, you know, I tend to uh, uh, think about this line, and he says that it's better to be in the arena getting stopped by the bull. Than out in the stands or in the parking lot, so it's better to actually be engaged and trying yeah. and fighting for this sort of idea that you want to exist. That's a great idea. Than just getting, you know, yeah. than just watching or uh, not participating at all. So, so it just, you know, it, it kind of made me think about that, and it's really good advice. That's a hard road to take. It is, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's um, it it. it it's something that I think about a lot uh, all the time. And I think that's a, a good reason why I want to do this podcast is because I feel for a long time, and you may identify with this too, is that you've just been taking, I've been taking in so much content. And I think that you figure out something more about yourself when you're putting out, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're not ingesting, but when you're, you know, creating something, people learn by talking about by, it. by teaching, by talking about right. it, by by sharing. And it's funny; it's like we're all sort of the culmination of other people's ideas, you know. And and, and we're just sort of the lens of what we choose to share or believe or 
uh, credit or discard or or anything, and in um, a great way to you know talk about the the ideas that you believe in that you've heard is to say, well, here's my opinion on this, or here's what this this book I've read a million right. times always says, and yeah. Well, and it's like uh, it's funny then because I think when people finally hear what it is that you who you actually are, because even in like one on one conversation, you can kind of steer it in a weird way to to either you know put up or prop up a facade of Mike Spakowski or actually let someone in. And mm-hmm. I think that it's uh, more comfortable and more natural for us to be like, yeah, this is Kevin Kelly. I'm talking as if I'm the Kevin Kelly that you know. Sure. You know, and I think that what's interesting about what we're doing is trying to I want to get past the the entire facade into these long form conversations that really talk, you know, with, with us, with us like going beyond a certain length to where we get into things that we would never have talked about beforehand, and if we had never, um, you know, if we had never contemplated them, unless we had been on vacation, six beers deep, you know. Mano y mano, no microphones in front of our face. I'm I'm trying to re- recreate that, you know. You're, to you're where, doing great. I'm trying to get to the truth of that with you and me, and I I think that that's what's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, it's almost like while you're while we're doing this, it's almost like we're looking back. <laughs> Do you ever have that feeling of you're doing something and it feels so good, or it feels like you're doing something right that you automatically envision yourself in the future? looking back at your younger self doing it? God, no. No, I don't. It sounds, it sounds wonderful, though. So it's, you're doing something like great, for, like and big, then you imagine events, your younger like when you're, self? If you're getting married, yeah. or if you're having a kid, yeah. or if you're doing something that you didn't anticipate yourself, traveling to a new country. And like I get into this mindset of... enjoying the present moment, but what does that even mean? Like... I have this weird feeling of like fast forwarding to being a grandpa and I'm looking back and I'm, I'm looking back. I'm like, man, remember when you were on that train to Barcelona and there was this cute girl across the way from you and you were drinking a whatever <laughs> beer and you just felt right and felt like everything was possible and potential at the same time. But, but you, you think of your future self in that moment? Well, I'm so fucking neurotic that I do. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I understand it. Like I, you know, I think, you know, full disclaimer, I was almost major in philosophy, and so I think once you start to learn about those teachers and contemplate those kind of thoughts, I'm of the mindset of where I'm always thinking about that kind of stuff in one way or another. <laughs> so it's like, I think everyone is wanting to have the best experience of their lives and be present as much as possible. And I think one way for me to do that is to do this weird fast forward trick where I'm pretending that I'm a grandpa looking back on my life at your own self and making, and like, like snap out of it, Kevin, like you're having an awesome time right now. Like I'm having a great time talking to you right now about weird ass philosophical thoughts. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, uh, it, it might be a really great reminder to yourself to mm-hmm. like enjoy the moment or make the most out of it or go for it or, 
you know, because really you look back at your memories and uh, you don't want them to be boring. No. You know, because of course then you probably wouldn't even remember them anyway. But it's, well, it's that's sort of like it's this, this reminder that, yeah. that, that, that sort of life is like a, uh, will end. Yeah. You know, so, you, so all the, these, these little moments you have is really all it's made of. And so you have to have the perspective to enjoy the moment. And that's, that's uh, my only hope for this podcast is that it's interesting on some form or fashion, on some level, on some barometer to someone. Well, th- then you're in trouble. Fuck. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's just going to be our mothers listening to it. <laughs> Since we're talking about family, I did actually Facebook message your wife last night <laughs> and say... Oh, good. Good. <laughs> what is what is something about Mike that I don't know? And she's very kind. She's definitely on your side in life. Mm. She said... Uh, she's cool. She said, a- ask him about the tattoo story. Oh, that's so silly. Is it? Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's, it's <laughs> I, more, you may have even told me, too, no, it's, but I, I didn't. I don't know if it would translate well into a podcast. Okay. Uh, we can always edit it out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's so dumb. <laughs> when I was a kid, so people, you know, are always like, oh, do you have any tattoos? And I'm like, well, I have one. Um, and so I tell this story and it goes like this. When I was a kid, I was riding my bike through the neighborhood and I couldn't find like any of my like regular friends and there were no cell phones back then. So, you know, I drive down the streets where like my normal friends would hang out. None of them were out. And so I was looking for something to do. So I took the back streets and I went down, you know, uh, these this, these streets where these other kids that I kind of knew hung out at. And I was driving by this kid's house and his garage door was open. Uh, and he was sitting in his garage. And uh, I'm like, oh, hey, Len, how's things? You know, pulling up on my bike. He's like, fine. And he was with his right hand. He was drawing on his left hand. And so I walk over there. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? He's like, I made a tattoo gun. <laughs> and so with a hollowed out Bic pen and a Radio Shack motor and uh that's sticky, India that's, ink, what's it, sticky poke. Yeah. Right. He made this homemade tattoo gun. I mean, we were all of nine years old. <laughs> and with his his right hand, he was tattooing his left hand, his left arm. So he was giving himself like uh, just pen 15 club. Yeah. It was like, uh, crosses and music notes and happy faces and all this stuff all up and down his arm. Uh, and I'm like, well, I think I hear my mom calling me. <laughs> He's like, it's your turn Spakowski. And I'm like, nope, gotta go. And he ran up and he hit me in the arm. And I have this, this very small blue dot. <laughs> My arm. It's and that's a pale blue dot. Yeah, it's like the it's a like it's Carl the pale, Sagan. It's a Carl Sagan pale blue dot, and that's that's my only tattoo. Anyway. And that's where the name Atomic Dust came from. <laughs> yes, from this one. Te- no, it's not true. It's not true. Uh, yeah, but anyway, there's my there's my tattoo. That's great. Have yeah. you thought about getting tattoos? Uh, you you and I are both I, similarly. Uh, I un, can't uninked. I'm not well. I yeah I have my own hangups with tattoos like I can never Do you have any ideas for tattoos no no ideas no because because my ideas change with the yeah. the with, as I as I move through life so it'd be really difficult for me to do anything permanent our like mutual that. our mutual friend Kevin Brennan has a great line 
I go, uh, how come you don't have any tattoos? And he goes, I've never cared about anything enough to get it permanently on my skin. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I'm like, that's a, that's a pretty valid point. That's a good uh, point. I have a, I don't have any tattoos, but I have a, uh, a three-year rule. Maybe it was a five-year rule to wherever I come up with a concept, I have to wait three years to get it, <laughs> to know that I actually want it. And it never lasts. And no, I mean, I have year, I have ideas from years and years ago that I've never gotten that I still want. I just, you know, I think it's, it's kind of like the first time that I smoked weed you know, I didn't know much about it and I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't against it. I'm not against people getting tattoos, but then when I finally smoked weed, I completely understood it. And so then I no longer had this sense of, uh, wonder about it. You know, it's like, okay, I get it now. I get why people do this. I have no problems with this. It's probably the same with tattoos. Once I get that first tattoo, Two years later, I'm going to look like Post Malone or David Beckham. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, my, my buddy Bill, Bill, Bill. Uh, from, from my office, uh, he has tons of tattoos. Yeah. And I asked him, I'm like, how do, you, how do you pick the tattoos? And he's like, well, I used to like specifically pick them out, and now I just let artists put them on me. So whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, I have a lot of friends like that, yeah. and that blows my uh, mind. Blows my mind, Especially as yeah. a designer. Because exactly. I'm like... I'm like plotting out tattoos to the the perfect size. Like I'll take a photo of my hand and then I'll take the artwork and I'll layer it over my hand in Photoshop to make sure that I like that. I just hit my arm with a Sharpie dot and and it's the same thing. I have drawn on myself as well to be like, is this something I like? Yeah. Meanwhile, like I have a friend who's gotten tattoos at a wedding, you know, based. Wait, at a wedding. Yeah, well, now nowadays you can hire tattooists for uh, events. Really? Yeah, totally. See, I never go to the, any of the cool parties. Well, no, my uh, I, I think I guess my friend's wedding back in like '09 um, was the first event that I went to where they had a tattooist that was doing tattoos, and it was based on you could only get a certain size, um, and they had a flash book, you know. So they said, "All right, here's the designs we're doing." You know, and it's got to be this That's size. That's crazy to me. Yeah, and two of my good friends have tattoos from that wedding, like, permanently on their bodies. Are they happy with them? Yeah, I think so. I That's mean, good. one of them yeah. is a, it's a diamond on his ring finger. Okay. You know, which is kind of cool, I guess. I don't, you know, I don't know if... But the, there is a certain aesthetic to people that... Like, Bill's got a nice aesthetic of tattoos, yeah, I don't. There's no like regrets that I've seen on his skin. <laughs> I asked him the other day. I'm like, which one are your like least favorites? They're like, oh, I really don't like this one or this one. But there's only a couple. But yeah, the only uh, you know, I've no, I've known a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life, and I knew this one kid who is a tattoo or was a tattoo apprentice, and the way he practiced was by giving himself tattoos, Mm-mm. and so he had. <laughs> You know, that's fine enough when you're doing crosses and shit, but he had maybe the worst Anthony Kiedis face I've ever seen. Like, Anthony Anthony Kiedis, if he was drawing from a portrait of Iggy Pop, and Iggy Pop, if Iggy Pop had been a meth addict for 10 years, and Iggy Pop already looks like the healthiest meth addict that there is. I just imagine like a California raisin. No, it's just like this... Real bad, crooked, jangly face with straight hair, like back in the 
back in the like uh, blood sugar sex magic days, and it, it you're like, is that is that like a drugged out Jesus? You know, that's the first question I think I asked him. It's Anthony Kiedis, man. It's Anthony Kiedis. God damn it! Can't you tell? I'm a tattoo apprentice. <laughs> working on it. I'm working on portraits. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that you know that's that, amazing. That ties back to graphic design. Do we talk? Do we cover anything? I don't. I don't know if we covered a goddamn thing. It's perfect. Okay. I think we're just making sounds and syllables. Yeah. And drinking high life, just drinking high life and talking into the can. Yeah, <laughs> and we're just seeing if this experiment will get past ten episodes. Because people, if you're, I list- think you could totally do it. If you're listening, I'm sorry to let you know that Mike won't be on all ten episodes. It's just going to be me, it's- <laughs> and uh, that's going to be a big letdown. You're- I think people right now are like, "This is going to be great." He's got a co-host. Right, yeah. Wait, we, I could co-host. You I'm could. available. You could. I I'm think available. with um, potentially like uh, maybe bigger people in design. I could be the Ed McMahon of your podcast. Yeah. If with, you remember uh, Ed McMahon. With, uh, with Johnny um, Carson Hare. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got that. For, for okay, everyone, perfect. For everyone listening... You have not seen a head of hair until you've seen Mike Spikowski in person. It's, it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> it is glorious beyond words. I've had the pleasure of seeing this coif evolve over the past 10 years, and it's in its finest form. Mm. Yet, it has... It's a process. You've, you've, you've made it real nice, I, I, I have to say. You know, I was sitting here combing my hair, and I was thinking about <laughs> myself 75 years from now. It's an old man thinking about combing his hair. You are going to have the head of hair that every young woman will want to run her fingers through. Hmm. And, and, and probably, some men, and too. Most likely, some of those fingers <laughs> will get stuck. <laughs> and your wife will be shooting daggers at them. And Most likely. Claim, yeah. Claiming that hair for herself. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It is, sorry, not to dwell on the hair too long, but my God, just Google Mike Spikowski or, until or you no. see a, the most beautiful <laughs> wave, quicksilver wave mm. of hair that has ever existed. It's fantastic. In the St. Louis metro area. <laughs> right out of a Sears catalog. <laughs> if you could order a head of hair, I would order your head of hair. I'm well, I, I appreciate that. Not to not to not to dwell on the subject, but I do mention your hair at least once every time a we hang out. A lot of people do. A lot a lot of people it's do. It's cuz it's stunningly good. I was voted best hair in high school. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you sound surprised. <laughs> no. <I'm, laughs> they they knew back then what they oh, were yeah. dealing with? Yeah. It was a whole new it was a whole other thing back then. Did but. you did you put product in your hair back then? Uh yeah. Yeah. Like hairspray or gel? Uh, it was more of a gel. I wasn't into the the spray. What do you do now? Like, how do you how do you explain God's gift that it tops? You'll your have scalp? to tune into my vlog <laughs> about men's hairstyling. Pod, follicle podcast. <laughs> Follically blessed. <laughs> Bingo. Follically blessed. Coming to you in 2019. Uh, Mike Spakowski podcast. Kevin, thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, do you feel like we'd start talking to NPR voices? I, uh, that's I hope, no, that's I the hope one thing I'm trying to get away from is that like upspeak and that like hmm. oh, like we're sitting around a campfire huh. and everything is just 
Fucking perfect. Yeah, Jim. We're drinking the best beer I've ever had. This is the High best life. beer. That is the best beer. We're in the best city. What is your favorite worst beer? Bush. Bush is good. High Without life's a better. doubt, you got to oh. represent the Bush beer from you know, St. Louis, Missouri. But High Life is like High Life is High Life's good. Okay, and don't get me wrong, I've had High Life periods, especially back in the days of the thirty-two ounce can. But Bush is uh, it's a, the first aspirational beer you head for the mountains. Do you remember, Bush. Do you remember the eighties ads with the guy jumping over the mountain with the keytar? No. I'll show you that ad on my wall. Too. I was born in '82, so uh, it was it was still like '87. They were still or they were still good. Yeah, getting still good, edge. still good. <laughs> I mean, all beer is aspirational. Here we joking. They had a keytar, man. Bush beer and a keytar. What a what a wonderful combination. <laughs> What's the least aspirational beer? The beer that makes you feel bad for drinking a Keystone Ice, right? Any ice, any ice beer makes beer. me feel like an alcoholic. <laughs> um, because if I was to rank cheap beers, uh, I really hate uh, the one that makes me probably feel terrible is uh, Bud Select. Oh, really? Yeah, I, and, and I don't like. It's not, brewed for the loo. Yeah, I know, but it just makes me feel like I'm trying to drink like a low calorie version. It's only ninety nine calories. Oh yeah, but there's also yeah I don't know. It just makes me feel. Jay Z used to be. He an used owner. to rep it. Or, yeah, well, something like that. Yeah, didn't he? Was he an owner of it? Actually, I think yeah, buy his new album. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember him working with some ad agency on New York on Bud Select, trying to make it the new. No, that was thing. Bud Platinum. No, 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 no. It was Bud Select. Right, we're, Bud we're Platinum was the attempt to make. Honestly, this should just be a beer podcast because well, we are in the home of. Welcome beer. to the second podcast. <laughs> no, we'll wrap this up, but I want to. I want to. I want to finish it with this because uh, Bud Select, I distinctly remember they were doing uh, music festivals. My friends were working on it at uh, Cannonball. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they were trying to make Bud Select like the new big beer. It was sweet. It was black. You know, it had black uh, cans. Cans. Packaging, yeah. Uh, Platinum was like, let's try and make malt liquor cool again. And it I was so sweet. I a Platinum commercial. I could... I almost I, yeah, I bet he did. Yeah. I bet he did. Like, okay, I'm gonna do select. That's gonna be my brand. I remember him on the speedboat. Maybe Beyonce was in it. Maybe she wasn't. And then platinum might have been. All right, we'll also I'll do a platinum commercial too, even though it tastes like shit, and you get blind drunk off of it after one and a half bottles. It's real syrupy. It's the. Do you remember? I don't know if they make it still, but there was a, a big period of time in St. Louis where I'd go on a run. And I couldn't go on a run or a bike ride without seeing seven smashed platinum bottles. Oh yeah, on uh, on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, my least aspirational beer, I think, would have to be like a Stroh's. See, I'm fine with that because once you're so far in the genre <laughs> of like bad beer, Stroh's is perfect. It's like that dude's drinking Stroh's. <laughs> You know, it's like... Was that the one that Billy D. Williams... No, that was Colt 45. That's Colt 45. It works every time. Yes. Uh, But like Strohs and Ham and Olympia. Yeah. Like Olympia is the best, worst tagline. It's the Tumwater. No, it's just... It must be the water. water. It's the water. (laughs) It says on the can, it's the water. It's it's because it's from Tumwater up in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah? It's a waterfall up there. Hmm. Like Rainier. Yeah, yeah. God, we could talk about beer... 
probably another two hours. We could talk about cheap beer. Cheap that's, beer. That's really all. I'm Isn't it cruel with. that the cheaper the beer, the worse the hangover? No, I think it's just the exact opposite. No, it's cruel because you already can't really afford beers. So you're buying the <laughs> cheapest beer that you can. No, you can't afford aspirin. And then, <laughs> no, you're drinking you're drinking ice beer. Okay, it has high sugar content. It's you know questionably brewed, and people. A lot of times, I see people on the street drinking ice beer, and I just feel for them because I know that their hangovers are going to suck. Because they're taking in so much sugar. Same uh, with Mad Dog. Yeah, I can't get into like sugary anything. I don't. I don't do ice beer, but uh, yeah, I don't either. Yeah, because it blows. My favorite beers are Bush, Send Me That Money, and Guinness. <laughs> you do? I like Guinness. I like Guinness when it's like uh, cold out. Guinness is my favorite. Or, or when, beer, if I'm getting sure. sick, if I'm getting a cold, <laughs> yeah, you probably shouldn't I, drink beer. Yeah, at no, that point. but it's like to me, it's like this idea of medicine. Well, it's because that's how the advertising used to be. Yeah, Guinness for health. Yeah. You know, you have a couple of Guinness, Guinness a and day. lift like a toucan or something, like the old ads. But I don't know if you can lift a toucan. Well, there were two cans on the ads. No, I remember. They did yeah. the whole, anim- they're trying to bring them back now too with the oh, whole yeah. retro packaging and everything. Oh, the white packaging, they're pretty cool. I love it. Um, okay, so before we hit two hours, because I cannot envision anybody listening to this podcast for more than two hours, we will revisit Mike in 10 podcasts from now, take a survey of if this has worked or not, if it's interesting or not, brutally honest. If you have any feedback, please send it our way. And um, where can we find Mike online? Uh, probably my most entertaining channel is Instagram. Of course. Which is just at M. Spacco. You've been slacking lately, a little bit lately too. Yeah, I yeah. have. You need, I have. To, you need to get more of those. I'll get to up my game. His 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 kid game is my kid game strong. Your kid game, yeah. But. Your kid game is strong. Yeah, your kids are amazing. Um, so you can follow him at at m spaco m s p a k o. He obviously has atomicdust.com. That's his company that he started so many years ago. They're doing great work still today. And you uh, can play me on the internet at Duke Nukem. Still? Can. No, I wish you still got that Acer. It would be cool. <laughs> Firing <laughs> up that CD-ROM. Uh, and uh, he's working on a book, and we want him to put it out. I think it'd be a great book. So if you hear this, give him a little nudge. Yeah. Tell him that you want to hear what he has to say Please about nudge. the creative life, about design life, uh, about life in general. So, dude, this has been a great first podcast. I've had a great time. That's great. I hope other people have too. I appreciate you, brother. We did it. We did, we did it. it. More to follow on the 10th podcast. There's so many things we haven't even begun to cover. Strange brew. Yes. Till then. Sayonara. So there you have it. End of the first anti-podcast with Mike Spakowski. What'd you think? Was it good? Interesting? I think we touched on some interesting things, some little nuggets of wisdom, hopefully. Uh, We did talk quite a bit about light beer and hair towards the end, but you really do need to check out his hair. I mean, it's just that good. Uh, Many more to come. I'm hoping to release one a week. Uh, That's the the goal. Uh, I've already got five in the can. So if you didn't like this one, then just wait until next week. Cheers, guys. Thanks.